Hello, everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. We're back for another episode of Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals, we review them by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We're not zoological experts, though we do try our best to bring you factual information. We do a lot of research, make sure that the information we're bringing you is quality. This is top shelf stuff you're getting here, guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stick around all the way to the end of the episode for our announcements, a fun follow-up to our last episode together, where I got some really cool whale-watching stories from our listeners to share, and Mm. a sneak peek at next week's episode. Awesome. Yeah. You want to start us off, Christian? Yeah. So it's my turn to go first. Mm -hmm. I'm chomping at the bit. I'm really excited for (laughs) your animal. This week, I bring the Mexican mole lizard. I'm really excited for your animal because this is a funky little guy. It sure is. Scientific name, Bipis biporis. Bipis? Bipis. Bipis? Bipis. Uh, that's how I say it. I, I say Bipis. I don't know. It's, I made that up, though. Okay. I don't know how if that's how you, you know, say it. It's funny. I looked up a lot of words on how to pronounce in this. And that's not one this of them? This was not. <laughs> <laughs> you would think that's the more important one, but that's fine. I think this one's open to artistic interpretation. Sure. We can get creative with Bippies. <laughs> <laughs> also known as the five-toed worm lizard. Mm. Yeah. So you've got mole, you've got lizard, and mm-hmm. you've got worm now. Yeah. This species was submitted by Jess on Discord. Thank you, Jess. Yeah. And I'm pulling my information primarily from Animal Diversity Web, which can be found at animaldiversity.org. Beautiful. We love them. Thank you for coming through for us every single day, <laughs> Animal Diversity Web. So let's talk about what these little dudes look like. Yes, please. So at a quick glance, one might think that these are a strangely colored and textured snake. Really? Yes. Okay. Or worm. This is a long fellow. Yes, long and slender. But then upon closer inspection, you'll notice something. Mm. It has two forelimbs or front limbs. Leggies? Yes. Oh, just the two? Yep, just two. Huh. No back legs. Mermaid style. <laughs> <laughs> When you say oddly textured, what do you mean by oddly textured? So they are segmented. Oh? Yeah, these little, what you might describe as rings that go the length of their bodies. Okay. Like an earthworm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's kind of where their earthworm-ish look comes from, but also they're pink. Oh. Yep. I love a pink <laughs> critter. Yeah. In those legs I was talking about, they have five toes on each, which is where their name comes from. It's a mermaid. <laughs> mermaids also have five toes on each of their forelimbs that's okay. another check in the mermaid column all right, all right, all right. um not much in the ear department uh, <laughs> <laughs> even as far as reptile standards go sure um so that kind of gives it away by the way these are reptiles okay all right that helps me zero in on which one of those components of its name is factual not a mole not a worm okay we've narrowed it down to lizard and they are not snakes they're kind of a middle ground between snakes and lizards, huh? Well, they got the, the legs, but just the two of them. Taxonomically, they're in the same, you know, things as lizards. Sure. But have you ever seen legless lizards? Yeah. Is this in your notes? No. Okay. But it is related. Okay. Yeah. Because some lizards don't have any legs at all, but they're still not snakes. Right. Yeah. They're still lizards. Yeah. Right. That's very interesting to yep. me, I think. Yep. They have kind of beady eyes. 
I'm trying to think of other descriptors I can give. That's about it in terms of what they look like. I can tell you exactly what they look like. And oh. I think a lot of people my age will probably know exactly what I'm talking about when I say Alaskan bullworm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. exactly what it looks like, yeah. right? Just that with just the two little nubby arms in the front. <laughs> Basically. Good pull. So in terms of how big they are, their average length is 190 to 210 millimeters. This or means nothing to me. Seven and a half to eight inches. There we go. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> now, where they can be found, their name kind of hints at this. They can only be found in the Baja California Peninsula in Mexico. And to kind of give you a reference of where that is, that is in the northwest of Mexico. Close to California, I am assuming. Yes. Okay. Because it has California in the name, but it's not California. Correct. That's because at one point in time, a large swath of that land was known as California. Oh, okay. Yes. But it's in Mexico. Yes. It Got is it. It's in present day Mexico. Got it. I'm there with you. Yeah. So they live in deserts and plains. And according to a National Geographic article, they're known as ajolote by locals. That's the same as the axolotl. It is, which is weird. That is weird. Because <laughs> they're not related. No, not even a little bit. Axolotls are salamanders, which are amphibians, yes. not reptiles. Yes. Interesting. I wonder how that name got referred to them also. I was trying to find what the Spanish, I guess, literal meaning of that word was, but I couldn't find anything. Well, it comes from a Nahuatl word. Oh, okay. Um, which is the language spoken by indigenous people in Mexico. Okay. Not all of them, but lots of them. And that word was, axolotl was like the word for what we say in English as axolotl. Right. I, I didn't know that it also referred to this little Mexican mole lizard. Yeah. But let's dig into their taxonomy. Yes, please. So their family is the bipedidae, which is the two-legged worm lizards. It's coming together now. Yes. The bipes. Yeah. Okay. That part makes sense now. Yeah. Because that means like bipedal means like animals that walk on two legs. Right. But these okay. are not bipedal. No. I, <laughs> they just have two legs. Yeah. <laughs> By what definition do you <laughs> consider bipedal? Bipedal plus. <laughs> um, so there are two other species in the same genus as these guys in Mexico. And those are known respectively as the three and four toed worm lizards. Mm. So we have lizards that have two legs. In the three species, one has three toes, one has four toes, and one has five toes. That's huh. how you tell the species apart. <laughs> that is such a strange diversification. Which I'm sure there are other differences, but yeah. Wow. There are other families in this clade, which is known as the Amphisbenia, that are completely legless. You were mm -hmm. talking about the legless lizards. Sure. And according to Merriam-Webster, Amphisbenia is also the name of a mythical serpent beast that has a head at each end and can move in either direction. Whoa. Yes. <laughs> wow. I learned very recently that the way you can tell a legless lizard from a snake mm -hmm. is if it has eyelids or not. That if it has eyelids, it's a legless lizard. Some of these don't have eyes. Well, their eyes are covered by skin. Okay. Some of them. That's a big old eyelid right there. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's literally a lid on your eye. <laughs> and I'll also dig into this later, but they have different skull and jaw structures because they don't eat like snakes do. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, digging right into our first category of effectiveness, this is physical attributes, how good they are at doing the things they need to do. I'm giving an eight out of 10. That's pretty good. Yeah. So first up is burrowing. These guys can be found two and a half to 15 centimeters below ground which is one to six inches. So pretty close to the surface. Yeah, that's pretty shallow. But that's where they spend most of their time is underground. So they're built for burrowing and they do it pretty well. 
I feel like that's a common thing with like pink animals, <laughs> yeah. right? Like when I see a pink animal, I think that's a dude that spends a lot of time. In the yeah, ground. yeah. Now they can also drop their tails, <gasps> which is called tail autotomy. That's really cool. But oh. they won't grow back. Oh no! <laughs> you guys missed the memo. <laughs> so it turns out those are two different things. Oh, <laughs> is being able to drop your tail and then also grow it back. Oh no! <laughs> They didn't read all the way through the instructions. Right, because most of the time when you hear something able to do this, they'll also be able to grow it back, right? Right. That's a pretty important part of it, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> they only did half the assignment. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to go more into this in the ingenuity section because oh. the reasons they do this and how they do it is pretty interesting. Okay. And the final thing I want to talk about effectiveness that kind of goes along with burrowing is how they move. And it was described as a concertina locomotion what does concertina mean so a concertina is a musical instrument that is related to uh accordion accordion thank you it's smaller i was (laughs) i was watching you do you were pantomiming playing an accordion nobody else got to see you do that but it was pretty cute (laughs) yeah that's describing its motion um which is also how earthworms move oh i get it like accordion as in like compressing and yeah like So the outside of their bodies is loosely connected to their interior. So what basically what's going on is it's compressing different segments of its body and anchoring at different points. Okay. Like a slinky. Yeah. Good way to think of it, I suppose. A little pink (laughs) slinky. Or you know what? A mechanical thing that kind of displays this kind of motion pretty well is the uh, in Avatar The Last Airbender. Okay. There's that machine that was built to drill through the wall of Ba Sing Se. Okay, I remember so that. So the way that thing moves in segments. Sure. Great, great example of that. Okay. <laughs> but this is happening at every single one of these little segments of their body. Wow. Yeah. There's a lot going on here. Yeah. But that's interesting that you know they're when they're burrowing through tunnels they probably don't have a lot of room to move side to side right so it makes sense that they would have to move that way rather than like a snake that might rely more on like lateral motion and snakes are capable of this kind of motion but for them it's not very efficient interesting concertina yes i love that that's a beautiful word (laughs) so that wraps up effectiveness moving on to our second category of ingenuity which are smart things that they're doing could be tool use back tactics that kind of thing behavior Mm -hmm. i'm giving a six out of ten couldn't find very much but what i did find was interesting okay so first of all they can thermoregulate by moving closer and farther away to the surface oh okay Many, if not all, reptiles uh, must thermoregulate. Uh, I think that's being referred to as being an ectotherm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because they can't do it within their own body. So they rely on like other things around them to keep them warm. Yes. So remember, these things spend most of their time underground. Mm -hmm. So the combination of being able to do this and the climate where they live means they don't have a hibernation period. So they're active year-round. That's good. Yeah. So at nighttime, of course, it's colder at the surface, right? Mm -hmm. But the geothermal energy kind of stays stored up a little deeper down you go. Oh, really? Yeah. Because it's kind of like how in winter, a bridge will ice over before the roads do, right? Mm. Because it's not up against the ground. Oh, sure. So it's being like kept warm by the dirt underneath it. Right. Okay. Um, so at night, since these things will go deeper at nighttime, that also means nocturnal predators that might burrow for prey, badgers and skunks, 
would have a harder time finding them. Oh, well, that's clever. Yeah. I would think the shape of their body also lends to a high surface area to mass ratio. Oh, sure. Because they're long and skinny, <laughs> yeah. right? So like most of their body is like surface. Right. That's true. That's, that's a just good a guess. <laughs> that makes sense, though. Yeah. They are opportunistic carnivores. So they eat ants, ant eggs and pupa, other insects and their larvae, and small invertebrates. Um, and they will capture their prey, then take it underground to eat. Oh, that's yes. horrifying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they like grab something and then like drag it underground? I don't know about dragging it. They might drag it back in or they might just continue burrowing. With oh, them. <laughs> sure. Their legs also plays a part in their burrowing a little bit. Mm, okay. Yeah. That is, I will say, just like the Alaskan bullworm, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and speaking of how they eat, I mentioned earlier they don't eat like snakes do. They, they tear what they're eating apart and then swallow a chunk. Okay, not like yeah. a swallowing it whole like a Right, snake. right. However, one of the things that do uh, go after them, snakes. Because snakes can easily navigate those tunnels that they create. It's made <laughs> so specifically for their exact right. body type. Now, here's what comes interesting, though. It's thought that the Mexican mole lizard will actually drop their tails in these situations to either distract the snake or block the tunnel behind them. <gasps> That's so smart. That's diabolical. <laughs> but again, they've only got one shot at doing that. <laughs> that will work exactly one time. <laughs> A maximum of one time. <laughs> That's true. It could be less. <laughs> I think it would be maybe kind of funny to watch a snake eating one of these because it would look like a snake eating another snake. It's just... <laughs> well, I guess the snake would also not mind eating the tail by itself, right? That's true. I mean, that's something, right? It's better yeah. than nothing. And they they do have a a range at which point does the tail fall off, which kind of mm -hmm. goes to that whole conversation about snakes, I guess. Where does head and neck end and where does body begin? Where does tail begin? That kind of thing. Well, when you look at like an x-ray, like yeah. the skeleton of a snake, you can see where yes. like the pelvic area was supposed to be. Yeah. When you look at it from like the outside, it looks like it's just all tail all the way down. <laughs> right. but, but the skeleton of the snake can actually give you some clues about its actual like, right. anatomy. Right. Some snakes even have like little vestigial legs. Mm -hmm. Like you can still see where their legs used to be. That's yeah. really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So that wraps up ingenuity. Our last category of aesthetics. I'm going to six out of 10. That's not surprising to me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's cute. I mean, it's the, the peculiar color for a reptile, right? Very peculiar. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sort of here for it. <laughs> uh, the only two limbs thing is a little off-putting. It is. Right. You don't see that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Because usually with reptiles, it goes one way or the other, right? You've got all four or you have none. Yeah. You don't usually see that middle ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, looking at their skeletal system, I'm convinced that there are lots of sci-fi monsters that are inspired by these things. Because mm. if you... Go find their skeleton. Like I mentioned, they have, you know, the the skull and jaw structure of a lizard, but with the body that resembles a snake. Mm -hmm. To me, it looks a lot like the chest burster from the Aliens movies. Oh, yeah? I can see that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've never seen the skeleton, but I can see it in the face. Yeah, yeah. Because you haven't mentioned yet, they have a very sort of rounded face. They do. It is pretty rounded. It's not like what you see from, like... I think a lot of times lizards tend to have kind of pointier snouts, mm -hmm. or at least the lizards we have around here. Yeah. Like a knolls and stuff like that tend to have kind of more long, pointy snouts. But this one, no. This one is like, 
really just like Round. you know you know what the face reminds me of the pokemon mm. quagsire oh yeah i can see that and you know speaking of the skeleton you, you you mentioned this with snakes but they also have vestigial kind of skeletal structure of their hind limbs mm, uh, gone but not forgotten yeah, yeah it's under like the musculature and that kind of thing sure conservation status surprisingly least concern so it's not that these things are, you know, endangered or rare. It's just they're elusive. Oh, sure. Because they spend most of their time underground. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would imagine they would probably be pretty sensitive to activity in their area, though. You know, they would be, but the, I read a little bit about this and they the observations of them, you know, like say, say that an area they're living in gets dug up for construction. Sure. They'll just move somewhere else. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can just get up on my two little peaks and walk right on away. Yeah. That's good. Good for them. We love flexibility. Yeah. So they, they seem pretty adaptable there. and But they are considered protected under Mexican law. Very cool. So yeah, that's the Mexican mole lizard. I know at one point you had done your own notes on this animal. Where, where I just it? barely started. Oh, okay, I was going to ask, was there anything you might have come across that I didn't mention? No, I because I, I had started notes on this thinking I was going to do it like a long time ago, and I don't remember why I decided not to. I didn't get that far into it. I just, I watched like some really cool videos on yeah. them that I think I forwarded to you. I was just very charmed by yeah. how they looked. I thought they were very unique, very interesting little fellas. Hey, y'all. Before we move on, I would like to say thank you to our patrons over on Patreon who support us and keep the show going. This week, I would like to extend our gratitude to Jacob Schick, Bren Everfolly. Hey, congrats on the baby. Sarah Peterson, Sophie Ann, Vikram Baliga, April Kamik, Dalton Weeks, Julie Gilson, Christina Sanders, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist podcast. Thank you all so much for your support. We could not do it without you. Cue me in. All right, hon, what animal do you have this week? This week, I am thrilled and honored to present to you the short-beaked echidna. Ooh. Scientific name, Tachyglossus aculeatus. You love these taxonomical paradoxes, don't you? Wait, what? what is a taxonomic paradox about this? The echidna? Yeah. Isn't it one of those mammals that do strange things that mammals Oh, do? it's real weird. Yeah. It doesn't do anything right. <laughs> <laughs> and by right, I mean like typical of mammals. Yeah. Like everything about it is so weird. This species was submitted by Leah via Twitter. Thank you, Leah. Great submission. And I'm getting my information from the Bush Heritage Australia website, as well as Australian Geographic and Wires. They do like wildlife rescue stuff. All right. So if you've never seen an echidna before, they are just over a foot long or 40 centimeters. Whoa. Typically about, that's not that big. That's bigger than I thought they were. Really? How big did you think I they were? I thought they were hedgehog size. Oh, well, there's a good reason for that. They kind of look like hedgehogs, um, but they're bigger. They're much bigger than okay. hedgehogs. They're about 10 pounds or Oof. five kilograms. Oof. Yeah. So they're kind of chunky. I would describe the size as being more like. A cat. Fat, 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 <laughs> fat cat. Like super fat cat. Like they're more wide. Yeah. Um, they are found in Australia in pretty much all types of habitats. So you can find them in deserts, rainforests, up in the snowy mountains. You can find them just about anywhere mm -hmm. um, in Australia. This species is also found in New Guinea. So Australia oh. as well as New Guinea. Okay. Yeah. Um, their taxonomic family is called Tachyglossidae. There are four total species of echidna alive today, hmm. but 
this one is the only short-beaked one. The other three are long-beaked, and that refers to their snout. So they have this sort of long tube-shaped snout that's called a beak. Um, so the other three have much longer noses. This one is much shorter. Hmm. And the, the long-beaked ones are endemic to New Guinea. So the long-beaked ones you'll only find in New Guinea. You will uh, not find in Australia. Interesting. Yeah. So besides the other echidnas, what animal do you think echidnas are? most closely related to like if you could guess any other animal that they're related to um i knew this at one point <laughs> i was really hoping you had forgotten so that this it, would be fun was it platypus yes okay it is they are monotremes yeah, that's good job was. christian you remember <laughs> yeah so echidnas are monotremes which are egg-laying mammals Got it. mammals that lay eggs Echidnas make up four of the five species of monotremes, and the platypus is the the, the fifth. And superficially, you wouldn't think they're they're that related, right? Yeah, that is the really weird thing is that the platypus. You look at it and you know there's something real weird about it, right? <laughs> like you look at it and you're like, you don't follow any of the rules, right? But the yeah. echidna looks a lot more, at a glance at least, looks a lot more like some of the other placental mammals, um, so non marsupials. International. <laughs> Super spy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, echidnas evolved from a much more aquatic ancestor that more closely resembled the platypus. Mm. So there you can still see a lot of those traits in the echidna. It's just that since the echidna has adapted to a mostly terrestrial lifestyle, especially the short-beaked ones, they lost a lot of those aquatic features. But some of them that you can still kind of see, they still have some vestigial like traits that were more helpful to it when it lived in the water okay even though it doesn't live in the water anymore and that's a really funny story to me because like if you look all the way back to like their evolutionary history right like evolution started them off in the water with all the rest of us like everybody started in the water right Mm -hmm. they came out of the water turned around and went back in (laughs) And then came back out again. (laughs) So it's like they were having a really hard time making up their mind about whether they wanted to be like an aquatic or terrestrial animal. Okay. Um, Yeah, but they've uh, they seem to have settled onto the land. All right. Very interesting. Oh, and quick overview of the etymology because you were talking about the origin of the Mexican mole lizard's name. I have some interesting things on the echidna's name too. Yeah. So the Greek word echinos it means urchin which actually originally meant hedgehog. Right. So we now call hedgehogs hedgehogs, but the urchins that we think of as urchins, we should specify that they are sea urchins because that name for the sea urchin came from the word for the hedgehog. Yeah. In fact, sea urchins, as well as their relatives, the sea stars and the sea cucumbers, those are called echinoderms, which comes from this echinos word. Echidna was also the name of a woman from Greek mythology Mm -hmm. who she was a beautiful woman from the waist up and a snake from the waist down. Oh. So a snake mermaid kind of. One T. I know. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Um, And this could be a reference to the echidna's sort of blend of mammalian and vaguely reptilian characteristics. Okay. That it seems kind of like 
half mammal, half reptile, which was really challenging for like earlier taxonomists because it was really <laughs> difficult for them to figure out what an echidna was supposed to it's be. Just a line, but with a question mark in between it. <laughs> just <laughs> like somewhere in here, I guess. <laughs> and like on the grand scheme of things, you zoom out, the monotremes are the most distant mammal relatives from like us. Hmm. So monotremes split off from the rest of the mammals hundreds of millions of years ago, like over 200 million years ago, the monotreme split off. Hmm. So the marsupials didn't split off until after that. So we're more closely related to marsupials than the monotremes are. Wow. I know. It's, it's wild how, like, when they split off, there were, like, dinosaurs. <laughs> that's just a frame of reference for that. Okay, so that's enough about backstory to the echidna. Yeah. I know you probably want to hear about so some much of this. lore. It's <laughs> deep lore. <laughs> deep echidna lore. That's really all taxonomy is, right? <laughs> it's just High animal lore. lore. <laughs> so, uh, my ratings for the echidna first up is effectiveness. I'm giving it a nine out okay. of ten. This is a very interestingly built animal. I have so many notes. I'm going to try really hard to get all this stuff in. Um, I have like four pages of notes. Oh, I'm glad my mine was a little light this time. <laughs> We're going to be echidna heavy today. <laughs> so one of the first things you notice about the echidna when you look at it is its spines. So its yeah. body is covered in spines. And they're all over the body. And they're kind of like poking through softer fur right so it kind of has like a almost like an undercoat of like softer fur and then these pointy spines that are sticking out through it yeah these spines are just very specialized hair basically they're made of keratin just mm. like our hair and nails and stuff like that that's what that's made of yeah. it's just much much thicker than hair and it's hollow on the inside yeah. um, unlike porcupine spines echidna spines are not barbed so it's just a little poke that's it they won't like, you know, mess your whole day up if you pull them out. They haven't gotten that in the talent tree yet. <laughs> yeah, that's a perk that you need to like, you need to like get the lower levels of and you got to build up to the barbs. Stab them and then make it worse on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> but echidna spines aren't like that. Echidnas also have these, like I mentioned, these long tube shaped snouts. They have no teeth inside of their snouts. So it's kind of like a long straw, basically. And they oh. have a really, really long tongue. Oh. That they quickly dart in and out, basically. So this is a lot like how other insectivores work. Yes. So a lot of other mammals that eat insects have the same sort of face setup, right? Yeah. Long skinny snout, long tongue that works really fast. So like anteaters, actually, like some people call these things spiny anteaters. That's like one alternate name for the echidna. Sure. But what's funny is that they're not related at all, <laughs> you know, like no relation to these other insectivores like anteaters and pangolins and stuff, too. Right. But they've evolved very similar body plans. Um, so this is an example of convergent evolution that we've talked about quite a few times where animals are responding to the same set of circumstances by developing the same traits, even though they're not related. Mm -hmm. It's just coincidence, I guess. It's not really coincidence, right? Because it's like they're responding to the same thing. So it's like, yeah, naturally they would tend towards the same solutions if that's what works. Well, I guess it is possible that, you know, given the same problem, they would come to different solutions to yeah. their problem. Yeah, that happens. But this is an example of them just coming up with the same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they got the same answer, even though they uh, showed their work a little differently. <laughs> okay, so here's a really weird thing about echidna anatomy. Their feet 
don't point the way you think they're going to point. Okay. So their front feet face forward. This part is correct. (laughs) This part is going good. All according to plan. The back feet are spun around and they face backwards. Oh. Towards the animal's like butt. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Not at all the sort of body plan that is typical of four-footed terrestrial mammals, right? No. Very strange. It's like a Dr. Seuss character. Right? Yeah. They got their, <laughs> their back feet are backwards. So the reason for this is that the echidna's feet are made for digging. So they're big, strong feet. They have five long, sharp claws mm-hmm. that are made for digging into the ground to either build their burrows to find safety and shelter or just to dig into the ground to find like ants and termites that they're trying to eat. So when their feet point both forwards and backwards, this essentially lets them dig around them in a circle. <laughs> so they can kind of like dig circularly and dig straight down beneath them like a drill oh no isn't that wild but minecraft said i was just gonna say oh no i'm so sorry Here, cut, 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 cut this cut no this. it's okay I, I was gonna say like if you've ever played minecraft you're, you're like you got alarms going off you're like no don't ever dig straight down but i mean i'm sure lava is not a major concern for the echidna um but yeah it's really funny because if they're spooked by something they can just whoop, dig straight down to the ground beneath them bail yeah exactly it's like most other animals have to kind of dig like forward at like an angle right because they have to kind of like push themselves forward to dig right yeah. but nope the echidna just burrows directly down beneath them huh. which i think is really funny it is oh another thing about that that helps them out is that it's really hard to tell what direction it was walking because it's feet in both uh, directions. So if you're like trying to track one by it, the prints it left behind, it's really hard. <laughs> you can't tell which way it went. That's funny. Yeah. I don't know how much that helps them against predators. That's I don't, mostly a human thing. Yeah, right? I feel like that's probably a human thing. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting at least. Mm-hmm. So a lot of museums that display taxidermied echidnas didn't know that their legs point that way. Oh boy. So in their specimen, they like would force the feet to point forward. Yeah. And it's it. they're not supposed to go that way. I mean <laughs> I mean the animal's already, you know That's true. Dead, so they don't really It's just the skin. That it's they not hurting the animal for them to do that. It's just wrong. You know? Yeah. It's valid guess. Like I get it. And <laughs> if you if if nobody told you, like, yeah. hey, this one animal's feet point backwards, you know, like you'd never mm-hmm. think that that would be what they would do. So great try, you guys, but not quite. <laughs> so speaking of their back feet, the males have spurs on their back feet, just like the platypus, but they don't have venom. So the platypus has venom in their spurs. Echidnas, they still have the spurs, but they don't have the venom anymore. Mm. It still will hurt you <laughs> to poke you, but yeah. it's not going to uh, envenomate you at least. And something else that they have in common with the platypus is electroreceptors in their snout. Oh, so This is something I talked about with the platypus. Their bill is lined with these special cells that pick up electrical signals. Yeah. So this is really, really helpful for an aquatic animal because if you are trying to find food in murky water... If you can't see around you, it's really helpful for you to be able to pick up on electrical signals from things moving in the water. Yeah. So that was something that really helped the echidna's aquatic ancestors. But these days, this echidna lives more 
a terrestrial lifestyle. So that doesn't really help them anymore. They really don't have very many electroreceptors left. They have uh, like 400, whereas the platypus has like 20,000 or something like that. So, you know, not a lot of electroreception left. But the long-beaked echidnas that live in New Guinea, um, they have way more because they still, they live in more like wet environments where mm. they're more foraging in like mud. Mm -hmm. So it, it helps them more to have the electroreceptors. But so the short-beaked echidna really doesn't have very many left at all because it doesn't really help them out that much anymore. But it's an interesting leftover, basically, from their sort of proto-platypus days. <laughs> also... Another thing they have in common with the platypus is that they don't have stomachs. It basically goes like throat to intestines because that was not something that they ever needed to fix, I guess. Huh. <laughs> Echidnas don't have external ears. They okay. just have ear slits behind their like eyes, I guess. Yeah. So no external ear structure, but they, they can still hear very well, apparently. Mm -hmm. Evidently, they are quite good at hearing. They're very secretive. So if they hear you coming, they're likely to burrow or run away or it's it's apparently very difficult to observe them in the wild hmm. they're very shy another interesting thing is that they typically will live around 10 years in the wild which wow. is pretty long but the longest recorded lifespan of an echidna in captivity was 49 years <sighs> that's way longer than most animals <laughs> their size live yeah because earlier i mentioned a cat so mm -hmm. i was thinking i don't know 20 maybe but mm, no. 49 was the longest one ever <laughs> recorded so this is probably due to the fact that they have a really slow metabolism uh. and they're very resistant to stress so they they just just take things real slow in their body processes. Man, way to dunk on us. We're <laughs> <laughs> nailing it. Now, I did give them a nine instead of a 10. So here's where I docked a point. Hmm. They can't sweat or pant to cool off. Take that. Yeah. So <laughs> that we got them there, honestly. We could do both so if sweaty. we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs> there's a human out there just like sweating at echidnas like oh yeah you wish you could oh <laughs> uh, so hot weather can be really rough on the echidna because they can't release that excess heat through sweating or panting they're on the wrong continent they are yeah so that's why i was like, oh, taking off a point for that so during the warmer months they do shift their activity cycles and okay. they kind of become nocturnal during the hot months mm -hmm. so that they're out at night when it's not as hot they're not out in those peak temperatures so you know they do at least make up for that but still yeah. Like you gotta have something, y'all. It's the <laughs> the trends aren't looking great yeah. for something with poor heat resistance. So y'all gotta figure that out real quick. Next category for the echidna is ingenuity. I give them a seven out of ten. Okay. Um, when the echidna is threatened, it does roll up into a ball. Yay. So it turns it into a spiky little pin cushion. This is a behavior that is called conglobation. Lots of animals do this, actually. Yeah. Um, hedgehogs do this. Pangolins, roly-polies, lots of animals do this thing where they roll up into a ball, whether it's to shield themselves or in the case of the hedgehog and echidna, it really just kind of um, makes them a more hostile structure, I guess. Yeah. It's a thing quite a few things do. They have a lot in common with hedgehogs for not being related at all. <laughs> Echidnas can also, so they hibernate, mm -hmm. but they can also enter the state of torpor where they slow their metabolism way, 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 way down. Mm -hmm. Like they're like breathing at a rate of like three breaths per minute. Hmm. So they can do this to lower their oxygen intake to allow them to survive a wildfire. 
Oh. So if there's a fire where they are, what they do is they just dig straight down into the ground and they like cover themselves with dirt and then they go into torpor until the fire's over. So specifically they're they're avoiding suffocation. Right. Okay. Yeah. So they're decreasing the amount of oxygen that they need to intake okay. so that while the fire is going on, they're not getting choked out by smoke okay. or, you know, the oxygen around them being burned. Like yeah. it, they don't need to breathe that much oxygen and they can just wait out the fire. That's cool. Yeah, so I guess a lot of times after fires, you'll see echidnas start coming up out of the ground, and they're they're usually like one of the most resistant to fires. Like mm. they're they're great at surviving fires. Very cool. Um, I, I called this the Weatherford problem solving method: <laughs> <laughs> going to sleep and hoping that your problems are gone when you wake up. Yeah. <laughs> it's worked more times though. Like it, I gotta say, it's foolproof. So echidnas like the platypus, they do lay eggs. The eggs are really tiny. Ooh. They're only about the size of a jelly bean. Oh. And they are soft. The shells are soft. So the echidna carries her egg in a kind of a weird way. She has muscles. Well, all echidnas have this, not just females. A muscle in their abdominal area that they contract to form a pouch. Huh. Yeah. They like make a temporary pouch. Like a marsupial. Interesting. But the marsupial's pouch is permanent. It's part of their body, right? Yeah. But the echidna's is just, she's basically like flexing her ab muscles in a way that like makes a little recess where she puts the egg. Hmm. So she carries the egg there, the egg hatches, the baby's really tiny, and then she continues to carry the baby in this like little pouch. Oh. Right. And so the baby's really, really itty bitty. Um, it's pink and it's totally bald. So it stays in mama's little pouch until it starts to develop spines. Mm -hmm. um, so once they start growing in the spines and they're too pointy for mom to carry around, she'll dig a little burrow and she'll leave her baby, which by the way, the baby echidna is called a puggle. So she'll leave the puggle oh. <laughs> in the burrow until it is ready to be independent by the time they're about 10 months old. And then baby Puggle is ready to take on the world. So I found that really interesting. It's funny because they're kind of halfway between like the egg laying and the like pouch behavior of the marsupial. Yeah. Even though it's not, they don't have the same like structure built into their body. Hmm. Funny little dude. Something funny when they're, <laughs> I'm not going to go too far into their reproduction because oh. there's a lot you can talk about there and this is a family friendly show. Yep. But one thing I will say is that when the female is romantically available, male echidnas will form a train behind her and follow her around and go on a little echidna parade. Huh. They're like, they follow her around. And so you'll see like a bunch of echidnas walking in a little line <laughs> going on a little parade. <laughs> I saw videos of it. It's really funny. Final category for the echidna is aesthetics. I give it eight. Eight out of ten. It's okay. a cute little guy. Its feet are very mole-like, which is like not the cutest thing in the world to me. Right? It has those like big chunky paws with the long claws in it. It's like, eh. Is that the cutest? No. <laughs> Baby puggles are i i'm sorry to say they're not cute at all i might feel differently if i met one in person but the photos are not it yeah no it's not good they look like little balls of flesh oh it's not cute at all i unfortunately can't hear the word puggle without thinking of that internet picture that you loathe with a passion yeah, and I've covered that already. Okay. I don't think that needs to be rehashed. I've already unleashed my fury about that. <laughs>
Which it should be said, like a baby echidna is called a baby puggle. It's called a puggle, I guess. And like, I don't know if they actually call them that. Like, mm. I don't know if actual people that work with echidnas actually refer to them as puggles or if that's just one of those cutesy internet things. Sure. But I mean, the, the image I'm talking about was about platypus, but yeah, so. I know. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, the baby echidna. No, it's got these tiny beady little eyes no it's really not cute at all if you have a cute picture of a baby echidna i would love to see it <laughs> but i i have yet to see one every picture i've seen of a baby echidna has been horrendous <laughs> not flattering at all um to wrap things up for the echidna their conservation status so the short-beaked echidna is of least concern they're doing fine they're pretty common in australia oh cool the long-beaked echidnas, on the other hand, all of them are doing not fine at all. Mm -hmm. um, all three species are critically endangered, according to the IUCN. But the short-beaked echidna is doing okay. Okay. That one's doing fine. I cannot end the episode without talking about Knuckles. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, is she going to make me do this? No, I, I will talk about Knuckles the echidna. Okay. So Knuckles the echidna major character from sonic the hedgehog video game franchises which sonic the hedgehog games were formative to me as a kid i was deep into sonic mm -hmm. the hedgehog knuckles the echidna was my favorite character by the way i loved knuckles mm -hmm. still do he does have some features consistent with the real life echidna oh yeah which is very surprising for sonic the hedgehog characters because they <laughs> typically do not care so he does have the spines, right? He does have these big hands with the sharp claws for digging, like digging okay. into like surfaces as like part of his gameplay, which I find interesting because that's a parallel to the real echidna. He also doesn't have external ears, which is hmm. kind of sets him apart from the other Sonic characters because all of the other Sonic characters have like pointy little like cat ears, basically. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have any ears, which is accurate. <laughs> Does Sonic have ears? Sonic has ears, yeah. Okay. Huh. Yeah, pretty much all of them have have ears, you know, if they are an animal that has ears. But did Sonic have human ears in the movie? Did he have human ears? <laughs> I can't. What? <laughs> yeah, I did know. he have human ears? <laughs> Probably not, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> we saw that movie together. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay the if anyone out there is good at drawing pictures please draw <laughs> please draw an art of sonic the hedgehog with human ears <laughs> no he didn't have human ears he had hedgehog oh, okay. ears <laughs> that was lovecraftian what you said it's eldritch Ugh. Um, Cyndaquil also looks like an echidna. Okay. <laughs> the Pokemon Cyndaquil, the fire type starter from the Gen 2 Pokemon games, looks like an echidna. It also does not have external ears. Okay. So. Much less human ears. No. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's it for the echidna. You forgot to mention Idris Elba. Idris Elba will be doing the voice of Knuckles the Echidna. Thank you. In the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog 2 sequel movie. Gets my blood pressure way <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> Christian knows I hate that commercial so much. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I don't even remember what it was a f- what it was for. <laughs> no idea what that commercial was for, but I all I remember is Idris Elba. I think it was a cell phone network. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, <laughs> so Idris Elba will be providing the voice of Knuckles the Echidna. So it's great. Canonically, Echidnas do have the voice of Idris Elba. <laughs> I'm aware of the effect I have on taxonomists. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you think of that so fast? Uh, you need to stop. <laughs> You're doing too much this episode. You need to take it down or not. <laughs> to wrap up for today. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all we <laughs> had today. Thanks, Christian. Anytime. <laughs> okay. To wrap things up for today, um, I did want to provide to you some follow-ups to the last episode we did together. Okay. In the last episode that we did together, you talked about humpback whales. I did. We did touch on the topic of whale watching. Mm-hmm. So I asked our friends on social media for their whale watching stories mm. to share, and y'all truly delivered. So Andrew said on Twitter, who Andrew, by the way, is like, Super into whales. Thank you so much. Always delivering quality cetacean content. Said, there are definitely times when their curiosity sets in. And so the whales swim right up to the boat and spy hop or roll in the water. Hmm. So they're like rolling around so that their like eyes oh, okay. or other things to watch the people watching them oh yeah, goes both ways yeah a friendly humpback approached us and just sat in the water tossing and turning and all sorts of fun this is commonly called mugging and it's incredible to see oh yeah <laughs> getting mugged by a whale another time while out with monterey bay whale watch a mother humpback sort of parked and was taking a nap while her small calf breached 52 times around us oh so to share this moment of absolute peace with her and the baby forever will be in my heart oh that's wonderful isn't that lovely that mm. sounds so nice um sloth vet also said on twitter have gone whale watching in Costa Rica, and it was incredible. It's common to see mothers with their young calves. Usually they'll be doing training sessions, like Mm. teaching the calf how to shake himself out of parasites. Oh. Yeah, as well as breaching. Okay. So it's like the mother like passing skills on to her calf. Mm. Isn't that cool? That is cool. That's probably really cool to watch, like watching the mom like teach her baby how to do stuff. And then you just jump and slap the water with everything. As hard as you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, Emma Luck said on Twitter, oh, do I have stories? Former whale watch naturalist. Ooh. Humpback whale breath is very stinky <laughs> and their snot will become cement on your glasses if they breathe next to you and you're downwind. Uh-oh. Yeah, so learn that one several times. <laughs> Isn't that gross? And yeah. I feel like that's something that you would not know just from like... That's probably not something they put on the pamphlets. <laughs> <laughs> certainly not a <laughs> certainly not a selling point of the whale watching experience. Um, I feel like that's something you wouldn't like know unless you had experienced it, you know? No. Yeah. Very cool. And then uh, finally, Liv did say in Discord that her mom described whales as giant flying pickles. Oh, okay. I thought that was nice. <laughs> Just a little note in there. They're bumpy. <laughs> they are, right? That's kind of what they look like. They yeah. look like smooth, but with the little bumps on there. Yeah. I see it. So yeah, that's all I had. Well, thank you for that. Of course. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. I hope this has been as fun for you as this has been for us. We got a little <laughs> rowdy there for a minute. 
you can hang out with us virtually on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Uh, just search the title of the show and you'll get there. If you have an animal species you'd like to hear reviewed, please submit them to us, um, either by social media or if you really want your animal to get reviewed, email them to me. My email address is ellen at justthezooofus.com. And finally, thank you to Louis Zong for allowing us to use your song Adventuring off of your album B-Sides as our theme music. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, listener. And thank you, Christian. Oh, you're so welcome, Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) You want to go eat ice cream? Maybe. Maybe? That's it? I'm thirsty. (laughs) Okay. You want to go get some water and then eat some ice cream? Yeah. (laughs) Why'd you say it like that? (laughs) You're so weird. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.